Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live from a five-star studio. Oh, yes. Always. Always. Very and important people in a very important studio. We're quite professional, actually. Always. And we're famous. 100%. Correct. So, um, this is fun. I think this is the second two-parter I've done. Yeah. But I, I think this is the biggest cliffhanger I've, I've ever left on. Oh, 100%. 100%. You, you said, oh, yeah, they're in a house, the cops are outside, there's going to be a shootout. Okay, see you next week. Yep. That's... Chill. I'm sorry. I had to do that to you guys. Yeah. But I don't know. There was no other place. Like, if I resolved that and mm. then did part two, would you come back? Let's be real. Well, sh- Let's be I honest so. with ourselves. <laughs> I hope so. Well, um, you know, we got to draw. We yeah. got to bring the draw. Yeah. So well, just so you guys know, I also have been waiting this whole time. I don't know what happens. So yeah, we're in it together bunch. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do we have anything to talk about before we get in? I don't think so. I'm um, cool to just jump in. I want to know. You want to know? Yeah. Okay. Let's remind ourselves of what just transpired. Of course. Please do. The LAPD had surrounded the house because of a tip from an old lady who asked if they were looking for the white people with guns. Right. Which they were. Exactly. Then they found the house and surrounded it and they're shouting at the house like, surrender and come out. And nobody will get hurt. Then two people emerge, an older man and a young boy. The old man lies. He's like, there's only an old lady in there. Yeah. No big deal. And the young boy was like, crazy white people. Yeah. No, the young boy snitched as he should have. As he should. But yeah, he's not covering for these people. Fuck these people. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, there's a bunch of white people with guns in that house. And, um... Something's going to go down. Yeah. So thank God that they let the boy go. Like, he can get removed from this situation. Yeah. So, I mean, after 23 times of telling them to come out, they kind of run out of options, right? So they fire a round of tear gas into the house to try and flush them out. And they saw that as them actually shooting at the house. And this is when all hell broke loose and where I left you off. Correct. I am. I remember now. They started shooting at the cops. And they had M1 carbines, which usually shoot about 900 rounds per minute. Oh my however, god. Who needs that? However, they had modified them to shoot 1,300 rounds per minute. Girl, in what universe does anyone need that? Well, you know. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think I do. Well, they wanted to shoot as many rounds as possible. I mean, these people are nuts. Of course they want more. That's insane. Right? I mean, they're, they're using... I think it's fully auto. I'm I'm assuming you can't you can't manually sh- shoot thirteen hundred bullets in a minute. I can't speak. <laughs> the M1 carbine is a lightweight and semi-automatic carbine that was a standard firearm. It's semi-auto. Okay. That's insane, though. You can get thirteen hundred rounds per minute out of a semi-automatic weapon. Anyway, they're shooting fast. Yeah, that's terrible. And. You know, the cops are just kind of hiding out and shooting back. I mean, what else can you do? They've evacuated the surrounding area, thank God. So no civilians should be involved. There was a firsthand account from the SWAT, from one of the SWAT members who was kind of on the front line. And he was basically just 
hiding behind steps. Okay. And there's like footage of this happening because the news just had new technology. So this is the f- kind of one of the first stories to be broadcast to the nation live. Holy like live shit. TV was just a brand new thing. So reporters are getting pretty close to the house and reporting on absolute carnage live. That is terrifying. Imagine being that news anchor. No. So here's the thing is that they were just so excited to be covering it live. What? And it was so crazy. Such a insane story to cover that they got really close to the house. Like, I think they said it was kind of across the street and two houses down. You couldn't pay so, me enough. Yeah. So they kind of snuck around through the back. They were interviewing the cop as everyone was getting shot at and they almost caught bullets and then the cop was like yeah you should probably move back and you saw this footage yeah oh my god yeah i need to see that but that's insane yeah the attitude that i got from the reporter who was recalling it is that they were just so excited to be covering it it was like it seemed like a thing for them that was cool and i was i just can't imagine that you just have no concern for your life. Do you uh, want to get the story that bad? I'm just picturing like a news anchor like in a tornado. Yeah. You know? So those type of people. But in a tornado of bullets. Yeah, that's the wor- That's what makes it way worse. It was so sensational because everyone thought that Patty was in the building. Like shooting with them. Right. And that she was about to be killed on live TV. Oh my god. So, because they don't know that they're gone they assume everybody's there oh right i forgot that they weren't like there at that time right so nobody knew they were still on that weird like they stole a car right with that person and they were like oh we'll give you back (laughs) like to whoever they like lightly kidnapped someone yeah it was a light (laughs) it was a light kidnap like what (laughs) right but it it, i don't know with these people it's always so weird because it's not all it's not like a hundred percent like kidnapping evil oh it yeah. seems like i don't know there's there's something there but you know still kidnap someone anyway there's a hail of gunfire and they're they're using these weapons that are used in vietnam in war incredibly dangerous in an la neighborhood yeah against the police and bullets are just flying everywhere it's complete chaos and they just kept lobbing tear gas into the house trying to get them out but they had gas masks on, so it didn't phase them. Of course they did. Why wouldn't they? Right. Jesus. So this house is just completely saturated with tear gas, and they, they're they just continuing to shoot didn't like you nothing say, happened. Sorry, didn't you say there was an old lady in the house as well? So that's what the old man said. But was there actually an there old lady? There actually is a lady in the house. Yeah. Does she have a gas mask? They might have given her one. Okay. I don't know. Maybe they had extras. I sure hope so. You know? Because that amount of gas, that amount of tear gas is not not cute. There, There is a, a woman in the house right now. I don't know if she has a gas mask or not, but... So the LAPD kept lobbing tear gas into the house, and eventually it caught on fire. Oh my god. The SLA was again urged to come out of the house and surrender, and they, they won't be harmed. If you just surrender now, all is forgiven. God, well, okay. we won't shoot you in the face. Yeah. And... This is when Christine Johnson, the woman who was in the house, who's not part of the SLA, came out of the house with her hands up and was arrested and taken away. But the other members of the SLA remained inside the house while it was on fire. And you can, there's footage of this, you can go look up. 
and it's an inferno. Oh my god! It's like black smoke just in the middle of this neighborhood, and they're still in there shooting at the police. That is so metal. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> like in what universe is that real? Okay, sorry, keep going. Yeah, I mean, they were not giving themselves up for sure. Yeah, I'm not trying to make light of this situation because this is so fucked up, but like, whoa. Yeah. I don't know how to wrap my head around how, like, that must have been. They've convinced themselves that revolution against the U.S. government is necessary. So if you can get there, I think you can get to the point where, I don't know, the people at Jonestown were, where they're like, we gotta, this is it, this is the end, you know? Because it's a cult. Yeah. You you can, kind of once you get into it, you can really convince yourself of some extreme things, right? I guess, yeah. They all had gone into the basement of the house and were still shooting out of crawl spaces at the police as the house is going up in flames. Nancy Ling Perry came out of the back of the house with a gas mask on and pistols in both hands and was fatally shot. Okay. So Camilla Hall was just inside the house after Nancy came out and got shot and she was shot in the head before being dragged back inside. Oh my god. The LAPD began returning fire to the crawl spaces, and then they believed that they had killed the SLA members who were remaining, if the fire didn't. So, in the matter of about an hour, the police had encircled the house, killed all the SLA members, and left an inferno in the middle of this LA neighborhood. There weren't any, like, fire trucks around? I'm sure there were, but, I mean, are you going to send the fire department in an active war zone. Well, I mean, I feel like you would rather just let the house burn down. Yeah, I mean, not while there's, like, shooting happening, but... I'm sure they came after. Yeah. But, you know, you don't know whether they're dead or not, right? Right, right, that's true. And clearly they're fighting to the end. Yeah. All in all, it was the longest shootout in the LAPD's history. Officers fired over 5,300 rounds with the SLA members firing an estimated three to 4,000 rounds. Oh, my God. So almost 10,000 bullets flew in the matter of an hour. That's horrible. Between all parties. Meanwhile, we remember the poor lad who got kidnapped. Yes. Tom. Tom. Tom is still with Bill, Emily, and Patty in the van, which they slept in overnight. Oh, my God. So they all woke up and decided that Emily and Patty would hitchhike and take the first car that picked them up. They have no idea that this is going on. Of course That not. this had happened. They flagged down a Cadillac, took the new owner hostage. Oh my god. <laughs> and then threw Tom the keys and went off in the new car. So they did kidnap him under threat of violence. But they also got him back for his baseball game. <laughs> you know what I mean? What the hell? They're like, okay, here you go. You can have it back now. Yeah. Have fun. That's it. Get some peanuts. At this point, they knew that they couldn't go back to the old safe house because they knew that the police knew where it was, or at least would be having a heavy presence in the area, right? Yeah. So they decided that their next move would be to a heavily touristed place. So they chose Disneyland to blend in. Oh my God. So after they check into the motel at Disneyland... They turn on the news and see that the other members' new safe house was... Completely burned to the ground? Yeah, completely surrounded. And then they just watched the entire thing unfold as bullets flew, the house caught on fire, and everyone was killed. And they all started to blame themselves for 
their comrades' demise, in quotes, because they had gotten caught at the store and had left the parking ticket. Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatterholic and hear their stories. Right. That's how it all started. Right. Oh my God. Bill recalls that Patty wanted to retaliate immediately against the LAPD. And he calls it the worst day of his life. Uh, understandable. I mean, your your friends died. Yeah, I know. But it was, it seemed like to him it was more than friends because they had this cause that gave them meaning that they were all fighting for. Yeah. And it was just kind of, it meant everything to them. I bet. I mean, it's so, obviously it meant everything to them if they're going yeah. to these lengths. Jesus. So they were a bit broken up about it, to say the least. Yeah, I bet. But ultimately, they decided to live to fight another day and to get out of L.A. The ensuing investigation into the house that burned down, five bodies were initially found, but a total of six were found after everything was said and done. Because remember, they're looking for Patty, truly. yeah. And they didn't find her. So among the members that died were Nancy Ling Perry, Camilla Hall, who were both shot, Patricia, Ms. Moon, Soltizic, Willie Wolf, Donald DeFries, and Angela Atwood. So pretty much two-thirds of the SLA is wiped out. Yeah. The others who are left decide that their only option to be would be to go back to San Francisco, where they have support. And they waited two weeks and went back on Memorial Day when it was kind of... They went back on Memorial Day when there was a lot of traffic. So, like, right around this time. Really? Yeah. Actually. So they figured that all the traffic would make it harder to isolate them. And then they had Patty lay down in the back seat because they knew that the government was looking for three people, not two. So I was like, this is kind of smart. Yeah. Yeah. And they made it all the way back, opting to go back to Berkeley, where the most support is for this movement. Right. They actually made it all the way back to Berkeley, and their car broke down in front of a friend's place where the FBI had just left. Oh my god, their luck? Yeah, so there's so many points in this story where they just get stupid lucky. And it it just keeps happening until it doesn't. Right. And so they pretty much spent the night at this friend's house. When their car broke down, they just left it. And in the morning, they had to use public transit to go to the house that Emily had found for them to stay in. So they packed all of their guns into like a large grocery bag and then took the bus. (laughs) How... Like handguns? No, like full shotguns. I mean, these people are armed. Well, right. That's why I'm trying to figure out what you mean when you say they took a grocery bag and 
Like, how'd they hide shotguns in a grocery bag? Well, it was a tall one. It was a really big <laughs> it one. It was a tall one. And, you know, I don't know. They put it in a bag. That's what they described it as, is they just had a really big grocery bag, and they shoved everything in. I'm sure they put, like, bread on top. Oh, my God. You know? And then they just put it in between their legs and put shades on. And Baseball you know, if anybody and... was looking too hard, I'm sure that uh, you got the glare back. Yeah, baseball hats and mustaches. Yes. <laughs> I am just awestruck throughout this entire story. I know. It's nuts. There's yeah. just nothing else to say. <laughs> they get to the new house, right? Mm-hmm. Successfully. I still don't know how it happened, but yeah. they decided that they can't just keep going on robbing banks or they'll eventually get caught. And it seems like they had some aversion to constantly robbing banks and, you know, stealing. I don't know. It Gee, was strange. I wonder why. It's so easy to rob a bank. Right. It does kind of seem easy for them, though, no? It, like, you just hold everyone up, get the cash, and go, and it seems that the cops are, when they get there, you're long gone. I guess. In the matter of, like, maybe 30 seconds or a minute, you have 20 grand? I don't know. Unless they put those, like... Isn't there a thing where they put, like, paint or like ink in the bag with the money that way if you open it you'll like kind of incriminate yourself and also all the money will be stained with all this like ink well isn't that a thing it may be but i would imagine at this point in time they hadn't thought of that yet if i'm a business in kind of an area where maybe i'm not doing so well and i have ink bills i don't give a shit (laughs) money's money baby that's fair i guess Either way, they're not robbing banks anymore anyway, so it doesn't matter. Well... Oh, okay, never mind. Hold that thought. Okay. For a little bit. Sure. Instead of robbing a bank, they decided to try and elicit support from someone else financially. So, like, kidnap someone else? No. So, they're in Berkeley where people support the movement, so they're hoping to kind of get cash from the followers. Okay. You know? So, that support would come from Kathy Solia, Angela Atwood's best friend who held a memorial for her after all the members died at Berkeley. Kathy met up with Bill, Emily, and Patty with her boyfriend and sister. So they all meet, and Kathy encouraged them to keep going and gave them enough money to support them for the moment. So they're kind of just getting cash infusions from supporters. Really just two, but they're getting cash from people. So in the aftermath of the shootout, Bill, Emily, and Patty viewed the other members' deaths as six murders committed by the U.S. government, and they wanted to memorialize their fallen comrades. Bill recalls that Patty wanted to do the eulogies, and the three got together and wrote their final communique to send to the news. It was all voiced by Patty who called herself Tanya now. So a thing that I haven't mentioned yet is they all kind of had code names. So Patty was Tanya, and Donald was Sin Q, and... The others all had one as well. They all they all had one. I don't remember them all. You know, Ms. Moon was not her name. Right. I was so, wondering where that came from. I was like, Ms. Moon. I don't know where it came from, but I was like, I have to give her credit that that does sound cool. It does. No, I, I mean, like, I didn't realize it was a code name. I just... When you said it, I was like, oh, that's an interesting name. So in the communique, Patty painted her comrades in a very light manner. She said that she loved Willie like no other individual. 
in the recording and signed off by calling her family pigs. Wow, that's okay. So, I mean, she's expressing how great Donald and Willie and all the others were, and she's saying that she loved Willie like no one else. This is a point that will come back later. Later. Sure. So if it wasn't clear already when she robbed the bank with them, now it's like she's definitely a part. Yeah. We'll have a debate about that later. Sure. So things remained quiet for the remaining members and the supplies that they had dwindled down again. So they're kind of just flying under the radar for the time being, living off of the money from Kathy. And Kathy said that she would be able to introduce them to a journalist, Jack Scott, who was a sports writer for Ramparts magazine, but was sympathetic to the cause. She said that she would be able to help them, and Jack wanted to write a story about the SLA members that were killed in L.A. after seeing it on the news. He was sympathetic and just wanted to kind of express to people why they were doing it. So Kathy contacted Jack and said that they had some people that you would be interested in meeting. So they didn't tell him who it was, but they knew what he wanted. Jack's on the East Coast. He's in New York. So he came all the way to Berkeley and was driven around for a while blindfolded before he was brought to the apartment where they were staying. Okay. They removed his blindfold and he was greeted with Bill, Emily, and Patty strapped up. Like of course. Why wouldn't machine they guns, yeah. everything. And instead of being scared, Jack grinned as he realized who they were. Oh, my God. Jack said that he would really like to tell their story, but they refused because they thought that it wouldn't help them at this point. Everyone kind of knew who they were and either, you know, had their own opinion about it. What they really wanted from Jack was to help them get out of California for the moment and to support them. Jack agreed assuring them that he had the resources to make that happen for them. However, he insisted on them not bringing any guns with them because he wasn't going to put his family at risk. Period. They argued about this for a while because, you know. They love their guns. They love their guns. Jesus. But at the end of it all, they weren't really in a position to negotiate. No, they needed him. They needed him. Yeah. And they agreed. So the plan was set to get them to the East Coast, and the three were picked up in a van by Jack. But just before they pulled off on the highway, Jack pulled over and said to Patty, Hey, listen, you don't have to do this. I'll take you anywhere you want to go. If you want to get out now, here's your chance. She's had many chances at this point. Correct. Patty told him to get the fuck on the road and start driving. Yeah, in true Patty fashion. And so he did. Right. (laughs) Three days of driving later, they all ended up in New York City. And Mickey, Jack's wife, Mickey Scott. Cute. I like that name. I like that name. Yeah. That's cute. So she's also sympathetic to them. Okay. If we didn't surmise that. Right, of course. Could you imagine your husband goes to Berkeley, comes home with like incredibly dangerous fugitives. And he's like, hey, babe, uh... Hope you're okay with this. Um, these are They're going to stay with us for a while. Don't worry. They don't have any guns. It's, it's going to be fine. Babe, it's fine. 
And they're Mickey's like just fine like, unless the cops are here. Uh, what could possibly go wrong, babe? It would have been this great. is gonna be big for my career, right? You you just don't tell your wife, babe. I He's swear, like, it's we fine. Have three infants at home. <laughs> what the hell? No, okay. I don't think they had any kids at this point. Okay, but... I hope not because yeah. don't bring those people there if you got kids. Yeah. So to illustrate how intense of an emotional state they were in at this point, Mickey would go get Patty a copy of the New York Times and some coffee. And she would watch as Patty read through the New York Times and would circle names saying that she was adding them to their hit list. Oh my god. So Patty's a lunatic and Mickey is a fangirl. Kinda. (laughs) Okay, great. So this is weird because I don't really know what Mickey's deal is, but in her interview where she's recalling this, she said that she wouldn't know how she would feel if she didn't do it. And Mm. she felt like she was kind of... Keeping the saving lot yeah saving their lives because if she didn't help them they were probably gonna get to an end of a rope and then do something crazy jeez you know okay then never mind that's insane so she it seems like she thought she was helping them and kind of keeping her and her husband safe no no like keeping the peace in a way she thought you know i think she thought if they could support them and write a story maybe they wouldn't continue committing these acts of violence. Okay. Interesting. You know, weird moral argument, but, you know, I kind of see where she's coming from. They ultimately wanted to kind of get somewhere out of the city for a while, and they transported them out of NYC to Scranton, Pennsylvania, where a friend of Jack and Mickey would help them stay. And keep them safe. Where they teamed up with the Scranton Strangler. Oh, God. (laughs) So they thought it was a good place because Bill, Emily, and Patty had no connection to the area. This would be the last place the FBI would be looking. And it was sparse enough to where they could kind of wander around outside and and kind of process what happened. They continued their quote unquote help for the cause by bringing in another character. Of course. So I know that this story has a lot of characters. Yeah, there's a lot going on to keep track of. So if you have kept track of everyone thus far, congratulations. You get a gold star. You get a gold star. We have one more named Wendy Yashimura, who is on the run for being a suspect in a bombing that her boyfriend committed. Her boyfriend was caught. She was not. So they're also harboring Wendy. This is getting very Game of Thrones. I know. (laughs) This is like there's so many plot lines. Wendy was also brought to this, it almost seems like a farmhouse, and hit it off with Patty. Of course. And they became fast friends. They're at the farm and they kind of acknowledge that eventually Jack's not going to be able to financially support all of them. What Jack wanted to do was he wanted to interview all of them and write a book so that they could sell it he would get a cut and they would get a cut they get to keep going everyone wins everyone wins but he really wanted to kind of hit at why these educated middle class background white people were doing such seemingly insane things and he kind of wanted what? to as if white people can't do insane things well you know i, I arguably they're doing the most insane things right uh, well the point he was making is the least oppressed people right in america are revolting sure you know sure 
he wanted to kind of strike at why that was happening. Yeah, it was just the way you said it that I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, wasn't trying to do anything with that statement yeah, yeah, other yeah. than say that. Yeah. So they all start giving interviews and answering questions on tapes and transcribing them and writing this book. However, at the end of all of this work, Bill thought that it sounded hokey. Hokey. And didn't really like the final product. He said, you know what? Never mind. Yeah. Got a blast. And so because of that, he didn't want the book to go out and destroyed the tapes and would not give Jack the manuscripts. This is incredibly interesting to me because I think that this book should be a distillation of your beliefs, correct? Yeah. And you think at the end of it all, when it comes together, it sounds hokey? So he's like, let's think about this critically. That is my point. <laughs> so, let's do some critical thinking here. If yeah. you think your beliefs sound hokey when they're said back to you, what does that say about your beliefs? <laughs> well, we're too far in at this point, Of course, right? we're way too deep We've crossed the line in. of no return. Oh my God. So that critical thinking never happens. <laughs> okay, of but course. But <laughs> I did want to note it because this is what I thought when he said the word hokey. Yeah. I mean, no one else is going to write your story better than this journalist who has years of experience sure. telling stories. So this is as good as it gets, and it sounds hokey, which I'm sure we're all kind of, we all kind of knew, <laughs> right? Sure. This is not new to us, but this was a huge argument between Jack and Bill because Jack wanted this experience to produce something for him. Like, why else is he harboring fugitives and risking, you know, his freedom other than for the book. Right. You know, they had a falling out. He's like, Patty can stay, but the rest of you got to go. When does the police get back into it? We're going to get to that. <laughs> so the SLA were adamant that they had to go back to California where their army was. And they reached back out to Kathy Solia. I don't know whether it's Solia or Solia. I know I've mixed the two. It doesn't matter. Jack said that he would take Patty as far as Las Vegas but that Bill and Emily would have to find their own way back to California. Drama. The drama. So Jack drove her all the way there. Eventually they make it to Las Vegas, and Jack left Patty at a motel by herself. So let us take stock again of Patty's opportunity to leave. Oh yeah, there's Patty could have left eight times already. She's, okay. she's chilling. But we're going to continue to illustrate this point uh, because it's important later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... She waits for someone to contact her instead of leaving. So she stays in the hotel, and Jim Kilgore, Kathy's boyfriend, ends up calling her and taking her to Sacramento. So Bill and Emily took a train all the way across the country to Sacramento, and they all meet. So they're all back in California, the homeland. And this kind of new band of characters join the revolutionary cell. So oh, I'm sorry, we, need, we have more people. The new members are Wendy Yoshimura, who we remember from the farm. Right. right. Bestie for the resty. Bestie for the resty. It's not clear how Wendy got back, but she might have joined the train with Bill and Emily. I don't know. Sure. She ended up there. So Kathy Solia, we remember her. She gave us cash. We love cash. For a little bit. So Kathy's younger brother, Steve. So this is a new person. Josephine Solia, who met with them initially. So this is Kathy's sister right it's a family ordeal you know i can see your brain reaching capacity yeah for the I'm... number of characters 
I did not get enough sleep last night for this amount of characters. <laughs> okay. Yeah, bear with me, but you'll forget him. Well, I'll remind you. Yeah. So Jim Kilgore, right? He picked Patty up and a new character. So two total new characters in this round. Mm. Steve Solia and then Mike Borton. Great. Mike Borton. They're all jamming to get back on the track of fighting the revolution. And right? they're all in Sacramento. And they're all in Sacramento. Amazing. So Patty and Steve develop a relationship and end up living together for quite some time. And she falls in love with him. Well, <laughs> you mean they lived together for quite some time and then she fell in love with him? Or they started dating, they fell in love, they got a place? I don't know what the order was. <laughs> okay. I just thought it was funny. But the end result is the same. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I think that they probably hit it off. And at this time, they were all kind of living in separate apartments okay. on what Bill called a, quote, need-to-know basis. Okay. So they didn't talk to each other or know where they lived unless they needed to. Okay. So they're all living under false names, and Patty and Steve are living together. That makes more sense. I just thought it was funny how you said it. I mean, they're wearing disguises, so whenever they take pictures for the apartment or anything that they need like their license it's under somebody who looks completely different and has a completely different name just so constantly wearing hats and mustaches wigs and whatever glasses contour you know <laughs> did they have contour back then i don't know they made it happen and this kind of made it really tough for the fbi to track them because mm. they're looking for their real names right so they did get a break when jack's brother remember jack yep the journalist jack the journalist yep his brother walter got drunk and told the fbi that he had seen patty hearse in their farmhouse so he ratted they searched the farmhouse and found a fingerprint on a ripped piece of newspaper that was stuck between the mattress cushions that was left by wendy yoshimura what the hell is going on? <laughs> so the story of uh, how this newspaper got there is quite funny to me. And I think you were late. So here we go. Bill was kind of stunned by this because they wiped down the entire house before they left. And they took extra care to remove any trace that they had been there. In true right? criminal fashion, sure. Right. Apparently they missed this one newspaper because one night Wendy freaked out. Because she thought she had seen a spider in her room. <laughs> five years, five years, baby. Did anyone see the new Bo Burnham special? Sorry, keep going. Oh, it was going. so good. <laughs> and she had everyone else come into her room and start looking for it. No one could find it. Wendy assumed that the only place that the spider could have gone was in a small rip in her mattress. So she took a newspaper and stuffed it in the mattress. They missed this when they were wiping down the house. Oh, my God. So the FBI gets a point for this from Bill. He was like, that's pretty clever. That, yeah, that is insanely lucky that they missed that. Yeah, but the important thing that this does for the FBI is that it links Wendy and Patty's case together. Ah, sure. So they're like, okay, these two are up to something. Up to right? no good. So the agents remaining on this case start to kind of piece together the new members of the cell because Wendy had been back to visit her bomber boyfriend in jail. Oh, great. And so did some of the Solias. So they kind of start to surmise that, okay, well, she went back to visit him and so did they. So they're probably 
They're piecing together the Piecing together. And then they're with Patty, who are kind of probably with Bill and Emily. So they're kind of defining the new SLA, if you will. making their circle smaller. They're figuring it out. Right. So while they're living in Sacramento, they're kind of living off scraps because nobody really has a job. So the only money that they really get is from Mike Borton painting houses. So there was kind of a group of them who wasn't directly involved in any high-profile crimes yet. It was kind of a group of the Solias and Mike Borton, and they would paint houses to make their money. They had to make it work between, I don't know, what is this, seven or eight people? It's a lot of people. Everyone in the group did not want to be involved in crime. They wanted to be involved in political activities, but since their living situation was becoming so dire, they did start talking about taking more extreme measures again. I mean, they're running out of cash. So they decided it's time to rub another bank. Oh, perfect. They decided to choose a bank without security cameras this time. That exists? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's the 70s. Right. That bank is just only working on vibes. <laughs> That's how it worked back in the day. Good. So they picked Crocker Bank in Carmichael, California, and started to plan. They kind of had this debate, and, you know, they were they were saying, hey, two women should go in. Like, we should have equal men and women in the assault group. And, I don't know, it was, it was very strange. And they ended up... Um, okay, feminism. <laughs> yeah, I know. So feminism for the assault group. So in the end, they picked Mike Borton, Jim Kilgore, Emily Harris, and Kathy Solia to go in as the assault group to rob the bank, and everyone else was driving a getaway car. Okay. The bank opened at 10 a.m., and as soon as the first wave of customers went in, they held up the bank. They pretty much helped open the door for the people who were opening the bank, let everyone go in, and then held it up. Oh my gosh. One of the customers, Myrna Opsel, had this huge old-style calculator... They told everyone to get on the fucking ground, and she put the calculator on the table first before getting down, and Emily had the safety off on her shotgun, was pointing it at Myrna. No! And in the act of doing so, pulled the trigger. No! And shot her, pretty much at point-blank range. Oh my god! So, the rest of the group continued on and was intimidating the customers, cocking shotguns at their heads, pistol whipping people. Oh my lord, this is terrible. Yeah, and they also beat up a pregnant woman, Ah! and she later lost her baby. Oh my god, this is terrible. And after they got the money they wanted, they just disappeared as fast as they came. That's so bad on so many levels. If you had any sympathy, yeah, which no, you shouldn't gone. have. It's gone. It's completely gone now. Bank employees rushed to get towels to try and stop Myrna's bleeding, but they quickly realized that her wounds were too large. Oh my god. And this next part breaks me up because they sat with her until the paramedics came, and she did make it to the hospital alive, but she died in the hospital as they were trying to resuscitate her, and her husband was a surgeon at that hospital Ah. and had to be pulled off of her while he was trying to resuscitate her. This is horrifying. This is absolutely a nightmare. I know, but I want to illustrate how horrific this is. Yeah. Myrna was depositing money that was donated to her local church that day and was the mother of four children. I want to cry. This is a completely new escalation because now Patty is an accessory to murder. And in California law, 
if you are connected to a felony that results in a murder, you are equally as responsible for the murder as the person who pulled the trigger. Huh. So now they're all going to be wanted for murder. Well. So all the new members are now in just as deep as shit as Bill and Emily and Patty, truly. Emily does claim that it was an accident and all the members had remorse for the murder, but... That's not going to bring her back. Correct. It doesn't absolve them of it. No. Which they acknowledge, but after deep introspection, quote unquote, they decided that they had to carry on with the revolution. uh, Okay. Maybe take a break, guys. You know. I'm getting angry. Right. I don't think rational arguments Mm. are going to make a difference. They're like, we feel really bad, but also... The revolution. Gotta keep going. No. So... They go back to San Francisco, or at least the surrounding area, and kind of break off into different apartments again. Steve and Patty, who are now lovers, move in together, and they all kind of start to live a fairly normal life because they're all in separate apartments and they're not doing anything to arouse suspicion. Bill recalls that during this time, he barely even saw Patty. You know, it just wasn't necessary for them to talk to each other or for them to know where the other lived in case they got caught. And Steve was their link between the two parties because he actually was not involved in that robbery. So Steve was seemed like the one who was least okay with the violence that they were committing. So I don't know how he rationalized it, but he was kind of a part of the group, but didn't participate in the more horrific things that they were doing. So after this kind of downtime where they're just trying to cool off, their political activism took the form of bombings exclusively. What? So they started to build pipe bombs. On August 7th, 1975, Patty attempted to bomb a police car at Tarnival Police Station and actually placed it under the cruiser herself. But luckily it was a dud and it did not detonate. But they found the bomb. My jaw is just open. Yeah, so they're trying to get back at the cops for the murder of their comrades, right? This is their rationale. How is death going to solve more death? Again, <laughs> you know. Or past death. I don't know if that even made sense, but I'm just like, yeah. what? Like, I mean, violence begets more violence, right? Yeah. So what are they going to kill get them? They're just going to... Let's get them caught. What's happening? It, it's going to happen soon. But okay. um, so after that failure on their part they hatched another plan on august 20th about two weeks later where two bombs were going to be set off at the marin county courthouse so the idea was for one bomb to go off in the parking lot under a cop car and that would kind of create a distraction and some chaos and then people would be drawn outside to see what was going on and then they put another bomb right at the doors to kill more people innocent people yeah what would that solve? What is? How is that good? Well, there would be a cop in the group. That's... Oh, God. This is so bad. This is so bad. Luckily, the bombs went off in the wrong order, and no one was hurt. Thank God. Jesus. Also, I don't know if I mentioned this, but no one was killed in the shootout in LA other than the SLA members. Well, yeah, those two were, right. but... And the fire killed them. But... For everything that's transpired, it's kind of a miracle that more people are not dead. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true, but still. Still still so gruesome, but I mean, they were trying to kill tens of people with this one. And then the pipe bomb and the cop car didn't go off. 
I mean, they didn't kill any cops during the shootout. They fired three or four thousand shots and missed all of them. Yes. All of them. That's very lucky, but... Are you kidding? Like, I don't know. This is insane. Luckily, no one gets hurt in that instance. A third attempt was hatched two days later on August the 22nd in an L.A. IHOP parking lot, specifically targeting LAPD officers. They had kind of learned from their last few attempts and had fashioned this mechanism with a clothespin where they had the two electrodes on the end of the clothespin and they put like a wood piece in between it so when they would pull away, the wood piece would get snapped out of it and then the electrodes would come together and, and the bomb would go off. They like tied it to the car and then put it under. But luckily, the cops pulled off in such a direction that the two ends missed each other and kind of snapped where the two electrodes didn't hit each other. Oh my God. And it didn't go off. But they found the bomb and then notified all the other cops to be on the lookout. Whose job was it to like remove the bomb? I don't know. But I guess I mean, there was a bomb removing squad, huh? They're, they have a squad for that, I'm sure. Yeah. But who would not want to be by that. I mean, these were big too. It was a three inch piece of pipe with concrete nails in them. So it was specifically engineered to do as much damage as possible. And these nails are huge. So when the bomb goes off, these things go flying and hit people. And you can think about the bomb as kind of the size of maybe an average person's forearm. Maybe like a little bit less, but that's about what you're working with. It's a huge bomb. So that same day, After alerting the other officers, they found another pipe bomb under another squad car, and that was removed. So, out of the four attempts that they've made, none of them have been successful, thankfully. Yeah. So, the entire time, the FBI is trying to figure out where these people are and follow up on Wendy's connection to them. They knew that Kathy was connected to them because of the connection that the Solias all visited Wendy's bomber boyfriend in jail. Mm-hmm. And they got a break in the case when they found Kathy's nurse, Patricia, and after kind of surveilling her for a while, they were led to Kathy's apartment in Pacifica, which is kind of by San Francisco. They started tracking Kathy, and they interviewed the building manager asking if they knew any of the Solias. So they kind of show them their pictures. And then the building manager's like, oh, those are my painters. They're going to come paint at the house today. So, I mean, the FBI is overjoyed at their luck because they just found they're going to find where the Solias are staying. And then this will probably lead them to everyone else, right? Yeah. Pretty much everyone who was painting was everyone except for Wendy, Bill, Emily, and Patty. Right. They start tracking them. So they get led to another apartment where they suspect that they may be staying or somebody else in the group may be staying. So the agents call the gas and electric company, which they know a guy who's a retired officer, and they ask, hey, is anything going on on this street where the apartment is not trying to give up the building? And the retired guy says, yeah, there's somebody stealing power in this specific apartment. So they're like, okay, that's it. Mm -hmm. They keep following them. They don't engage. They're eventually led to another apartment where the Solias go in, and after some time, they come out, followed by Bill and Emily Harris. The agents cannot contain themselves because they finally found these people, and they didn't immediately arrest them. The next time that they came out of their apartment for a jog, 
they were swiftly arrested by the FBI. Oh, good. It's so weird because when he's recalling this, he says, it was really well done. It was swift. I didn't even know what happened before I was in cuffs. Good. Yeah. So they have them in custody and they start searching the apartment and they, where they find tons of ammo, weapons, and pipe bombs that are just ready to go. So You're just living with pipe bombs? Yeah. And another thing that Mike Borton recalled was that this whole operation was so kind of lucky and just haphazardly executed that they were building pipe bombs and actually started a fire in the backyard, which the fire department responded to. And they just broke into their house and went to the fire because it's what the fire department does. And they went past all of their guns and memorabilia and to put out the fire and they never got caught. What? Did they just not notice or did they just not they care? They didn't notice. I mean, I mean, you looking, I'm sure the fire department's not thinking about searching their house. No, I'm sure. They're looking but... to put out the fire. Yeah, okay. That's insane. So that's what he said. Anyway, they were expecting that Patty would be there, but she wasn't there. And then they remember the other apartment that they were led to that was stealing power. And they're like, we got to go there, like immediately before mm-hmm. they kind of figure out that they're caught. They go outside and there's a plumber working on the house. And they asked him like, hey, have you seen these two girls? Because they didn't find Patty and Wendy. And he's like, no, I haven't seen them. But I've heard a couple of girls giggling upstairs. And they knew the address of the apartment that was stealing power. So taking a bit of a gamble the pair of agents that went there who were originally surveilling the house come in from the back and the front and the door was unlocked and open and he was met by none other than patty and wendy at their coffee table and he yelled out like hey like fbi you're gonna be arrested i don't yeah, know what he you're said caught. <laughs> you're caught get bitch. down <laughs> get down they ignore this, and Patty runs toward the room where... She's got Pat- a lot of guns and pipe bombs? Right. The agent contained Wendy and arrested her, and he yelled out to Patty that he was going to blow her brains out if she didn't come. Not and nasty. So Patty surrendered, and they were both arrested without anyone being shot. They searched the room that she was going to, and they had shotguns. Both of them had revolvers in their purses, And I think that they had, like, an assault rifle, too, like the M1 carbine. So they were outgunned if they were going to get into a shootout. Because all they have, I'm sure, is just, like, Glocks or whatever the cops were given back then. So the fact that they were able to so quickly arrest both of them was great. Nobody got shot. Good. And everybody's arrested now. Fantastic. So no more terrorism. So we can breathe. (laughs) We can breathe a little bit. Lord. Loverboy Steve came back once he heard of the news to check on Patty, and he was arrested too. Make peace, not war. Loverboy. Yep. They were all transported to the county jail, and even on the way, Patty was still doing their, like, revolutionary salute while in handcuffs and put her occupation down as urban gorilla when she was taken in. Wow. So So Patty's gone. Patty's in it. Yeah. So the DA assigned her case to somebody... And the Hearst hired celebrity lawyer F. Lee Bailey and brought along his right-hand man, Al Johnson. Here we go. Honestly, F. Lee Bailey at the time kind of looks like Robin Williams with a more square face. Okay, in case you wanted to picture someone. Maybe a little bit older, some grays. He's got longer hair, but he does kind of resemble Robin Williams. Salt and and pepper? A little salt and pepper. It was really more like 
salt and brown okay you know at this point so when he's giving the interview recalling this when he's older he looks like the grandpa from up oh incredible you know he's the best he's he's got the courtroom flair and if anybody's gonna get her out of this it's probably him lord and of course with their money right you know they both take patty's side of course in this all and al recalls that you could just feel the trauma that patty had been through because she was shriveled up in the chair across from him when they were trying to like when they were trying to sort through what happened with her and i don't know you can never truly know what was in her head the whole Mm. time yeah and this is what we're about to get into okay the whole time she's in jail she kept sending love letters to steve saying how much she loved him and that she really wanted to continue the revolution wanting to overthrow the american government so she's kind of still committing to it and and the cops are like yeah you can send these letters sure well i mean they're not reading her mail well they are reading her mail but i mean i don't think that you can there's no direct threat of violence or like incitement of violence in the letters so you can kind of let it go okay there must not have been anything explicitly illegal anyway over time with Patty's lawyers reminding her constantly to not have contact with any of the SLA members, she started to be de-radicalized. And Bill thinks that she was brainwashed by her lawyers, but um, she will, of course, say that she kind of got out of the fog of the SLA. Do we remember the original Steve, who she was living with? Yeah. Remember her that boyfriend guy? Went yeah. from when she was kidnapped? Yeah, so... Steve, this whole time was... Steve number one? Steve one. Steve Weed. Statutory Steve, if you will. Oh, God. We remember him. So this whole time, he was, like, broken up that she was gone. And, you know, I was kind of hanging on every update of this because they were going to get married. Like, he loved her. Right. And she didn't even want to see him. Oh, God. Neither did her attorneys. And he, I don't think he ever had contact with her again because it was kind of clear that she had moved on. And they start to prepare Patty for testimony. Over time, they're trying to like get her de-radicalized and they kind of get her back to acting to how she did before the kidnapping. And she starts to give up the SLA. I'm skeptical of Patty. Correct. And she starts to wear nice dress clothes at her trial instead of kind of being the rebellious person that she was a few weeks ago It's almost like it'll probably get her out of it right so i mean even with this behavior turnaround this is going to be a very uphill battle to get her through there's going to be three major charges one the first bank robbery where they literally have her picture yep i posted it on the instagram you can see her holding a gun remember that yeah number two when she shot at people at mel's sporting goods store a great store but you know assault with a deadly weapon probably like wanton endangerment i don't know what there's gonna be a lot of charges there and then three the murder that she's gonna be connected to at carmichael the first trial was gonna be for the original bank robbery at hibernia and her defense basically had to prove that she was brainwashed the entire time to absolve her of responsibility for the crime so like kind of insanity it's kind of like that but It's called persuasive coercion. Mm. And, you know, they had to prove that she was the victim of that. I mean, it's basically like they controlled her in some manner to get her to do something. So I think that 
an example of this would be I kidnap you and under the threat of murder, I get you to do something illegal yeah. like um, no, robbing a bank. Right. So they kind of had to prove that. This was going to be really hard given all her previous behavior. Yeah, all the like messages she sent, all the actions she's done, the, the countless amount of times she could have gotten away and out of it. Mm-hmm. So they were going to bring in, you know, expert psychiatrists to kind of try and help explain this. And they were bringing in people who worked with war veterans who were prisoners of war, who mm-hmm. later expressed sympathy for their captors. So, so back to the Stockholm Syndrome. So kind of Stockholm Syndrome, but it's important to note that the distinction between the people who are involved in Stockholm Syndrome and Patty are that Patty actively participated in the crimes. She wasn't just being held hostage like the original Stockholm victims were. Yeah. I would say that this is categorically different. Oh, yeah. Although maybe similar at first. So the prosecution granted the defense, like, okay, even if she was kidnapped and abused, actually participating in the crime is a departure from Stockholm Syndrome, Mm -hmm. so it doesn't apply. Her defense claimed that Donald DeFries used this North Korean tactic to brainwash her and get her to do the things that she did. Because of all this time he spent in North Korea. (laughs) Right. I don't know. Maybe it was published in the library where he found it. I don't know. But Bill denies that they were using these tactics. He's like, Donald didn't know how to do that. He was a lifetime criminal. He had no idea how to do that. But anyway, this is what the defense are coming up with and they're big it was all for a reality tv show oh my god we've heard that a couple you times. got punked <laughs> they were trying to be reality tv stars this was all a joke you got punked america oops one of the tough decisions that they were going to have to make was whether to put patty on the stand or not because if they put her on the stand she could kind of describe the terror of the kidnapping and try and focus on that but then when they cross-examined her you know, they were going to ask tough questions that she is not going to want to answer. She flat out claims that she was beaten and raped by Donald and Willie. This is one of the claims that cannot be proven, proven or disproven with any hard evidence. Everything's circumstantial and kind of wishy-washy, Right. but let us go through it. This would have been hard to square because she memorialized both of them after they were killed and said that she loved Willie like no one else on the tape. Yeah. And then another important part is that Willie gave her this charm. It was like, they called it an Olmec monkey, but basically it's a charm that she wore around her neck for a year after Willie died. And they found Willie in the fire with the same Charm. charm. Yeah. So she kept it with her that whole time, and she was arrested with it in her purse. Okay. The point from the prosecution is that, do you carry around the charm of a rapist for a year and a half? Yeah. Her account is that they came into the closet and raped her during the period of time when she was first kidnapped, which is possible. Yeah, definitely not out of the realm of possibility. But you kind of have to ask yourself if you can love somebody who raped you. You know, I, I guess I mean, there's very, maybe there's... under these circumstances where you feel like you have to be part of the movement or they're going to kill you. There's plenty maybe. of very complicated cases. I, I could not say that it's out of the realm of possibility. Right. You know, so, but also exactly. it's, it's 
very possible that she's making a case for her defense and like this is a an easy way to do that right so bill and emily strongly contest this and emily outright denied it saying that it offends her that she even suggested it because Mm. remember all the women in the group are feminists and they were all living in the same apartment so she said if this ever happened we would have shot them i'm sure you know we would not have we would not have tolerated this behavior and Bill also, you know, pretty much says the same thing. And this is when they turn against her in her defense because they weren't going to testify against her, but now they are. Because well, yeah, because they're getting, they're not getting the same, like, they're not getting daddy's defense attorney. They're getting, right. like, public defenders, if anything, right? Right. They want to make clear that this is not true. That they might be monsters in any and other way, are. but they're <laughs> yeah. not rapists. Sure, okay, so. whatever, but... They're like, okay, if we're going down, Patty's coming down with us. Kind right. Of thing. Yeah. So they gave an interview to New Times Magazine where they tell their side of the story. And the reporter presses them and says, how do you know for sure that she wasn't raped? That's when they bring up the Olmec monkey. But the reporter kind of shows that, you know, they, they can't know for sure. They weren't with all of them the entire time. Sure. And it is possible. Yeah. But, I mean, they don't focus on that. They deny it outright. Right. They do decide to put Patty on the stand under a ruling that they thought they got that Patty would not be given any questions about the robbery she committed in Carmichael where there was a murder. Why would that be allowed? I don't know. But they thought that the judge had given this ruling. And when Patty took the stand, they asked her all the questions about the kidnapping. And then the cross-examination came in and started asking her really tough questions about that robbery. They objected. They were flabbergasted. They thought that they had this ruling, and the judge pretty much said, you put her on the stand. You open this. She's going to have to answer the questions, and you did this. Which is even harder, I'm sure, because they didn't think she was going to have to answer these questions, so I'm sure she wasn't prepared to answer any of these questions and, like, specific kind of way to make her look as good as possible you know right this is really significant because if she proves she's an accomplice to that felony she is exposed to the death penalty because she's equally as responsible for murder murder. yeah although let's be honest she's not getting the death penalty as a rich white girl but they started to ask her questions in the cross-examination and patty proceeded to plead the fifth 42 times oh my god and she even denied seeing the documents that the prosecution was holding up in front of her face she said i refuse to answer so she just refused to answer any of their questions her lawyers admit that this is when her case completely fell apart yeah and the jury came back with a guilty verdict within one day and she was sentenced to seven years in prison bro seven years that's it for the robbery. Oh, okay. For the specific, the first one, the where first no one. one was killed. Okay, because I was like, out of everything that's happened, she got seven years? Yeah. People felt like justice had been served and that money couldn't buy you out of jail. However, <laughs> okay. we're about to see this story arc uh, continue. Yeah. So they appealed the verdict and she was released on $1 million bail and she had to pay for her own security. Her family had to pay police officers to protect her. Which I guess is a, not normal, but I mean, it's like, you know, the judge was trying to make a point about her wealth. Then she had to go to trial for the shooting at Mel Sporting Goods. And this was really tough because you can't win this case. There's multiple witnesses. 
a ton of hard evidence against her. So Patty pled no contest, saving herself from 15 years to life. And she ended up getting five years of probation for this crime. Oh my God. Okay. Bill and Emily were sentenced to six years for the same incident, even though Patty was the only one who fired shots. Yep. Okay. It is important to note that Bill and Emily were convicted first, and then the judge who was familiar with the trial was replaced, Mm. and then Patty was given five years probation. That's significant. It is Bill's theory that the Hearst had something to do with that, but there's no evidence for that. But, I mean, I don't think it would be completely crazy with what they're about to pull off. Prosecutors then needed to charge someone with Patty's initial kidnapping, and Bill and Emily were the only ones alive who were responsible. Right. The prosecution initially offered them a plea deal with life without parole. They, like, laughed in their face. They're like, are you kidding me? I don't know if the death penalty was on the table for this, but... If that's they were your like, plea deal, then Yeah, like... your plea deal is the worst case scenario, right? So they just laughed and they were like, no, take it to trial. And they knew that Patty didn't want to go to trial because if she goes to trial for the kidnapping and she gets put on the stand, she's going to have to answer other questions about the murder robbery. Mm-hmm. So eventually after they refused the plea deal, the prosecution pretty much came to them and said, how much time do you want to do? And they settled on... 10 years and eight months and they allowed them to count their time that they had already served towards this for the kidnapping and they pled out because they didn't want patty to go on the stand so bill and emily have been convicted for mel sporting goods store and patty's initial kidnapping and when are we going to talk about the bank the murder we are about to talk about the murder the fbi actually offered patty to recommend her immunity from prosecution not for the bank robbery the original one but from all other crimes so they were going to recommend immunity that doesn't mean immunity and then they were going to give her this in exchange for patty giving an interview about the carmichael bank robbery where myrna opsal was killed under use immunity which means that anything that she says to them in the interview cannot be used against her in the trial how would they get that What they want to do is they want to get everyone else who's involved because there's not a lot of hard evidence against them in that robbery. So they want to use Patty as a witness and use her statements to convict other people and find everyone else who is involved with it. But in that, she would have complete just blanket immunity. Anything that she says to them cannot be used in the trial. So So she could be like, yeah, I was a part of it and they can't use it. Correct. But then they get everyone else. Right. Okay. So this is their rationale. She does do it. She names everyone and, you know, spills the beans. But the problem with this is that she's a horrible witness. So they didn't even use her as a witness because she's kind of already proven that she's a liar. Yeah. Really. And they charged Steve Celaya with that robbery because eyewitnesses at the bank say that they saw him, but Patty says that he wasn't there. Right. So that case goes horribly, and Steve is acquitted. I think at this point, they speculate that the DA kind of calculated that prosecuting anyone else would probably go poorly as well, and they couldn't rely on Patty's testimony. So they never charge anyone... For the murder? For the murder of Myrna Opsal. Oh my god. I don't don't know how. So Patty just got... Or why. She got six years, and that's it? Seven. Seven. Did she even go to prison? So she's appealing it right now, and she's on bail. Mm. 
and they appeal it all the way up to the Supreme Court, who does not take the case, and Patty surrenders to federal prison to serve her time. Okay. So she actually does time. All right. However, once she is imprisoned, she files a motion against her lawyers for an ineffective defense, and it's rejected, but she tried to, I don't know, sue them or get back at them. She then leverages her family's connections to change public opinion about herself. She tries to get Jimmy Carter to commute her sentence. Okay. So she's going big. She would give out interviews to reporters who didn't really know all the facts of the case, and then they would focus solely on her kidnapping. The Hearst recruited Democrats and Republicans for her cause and even got Ronald Reagan to endorse the effort to commute her sentence. What? One of the major breaks in her effort to do this was after the Jonestown massacre, which we covered on episode 18. Yeah. But basically this is where don't drink the Kool-Aid comes from. And yeah. a bunch of these people, they killed a congressperson and then killed themselves. It was like the entire group. Yeah. People started to realize that under cult brainwashing you could do some pretty crazy things and they started to be more sympathetic to patty given that all the interviews that she was doing was was only focusing on her victimhood Hmm. so this started to really change public opinion in her favor and jimmy carter eventually commuted her sentence for the hibernia bank robbery and patty was released after serving 21 months of her sentence wow yeah i didn't i didn't think she was going to serve the whole time no no way so this is where her privilege is coming in uh yeah another thing about this is that her bodyguard was married with two children and she had an affair with him before she went into prison and then she hired a divorce lawyer while she was in prison to get him to divorce his wife and marry her. Oh my God. They did get married. The drama. Yeah, they did get married. They had kids. She has two kids with him. Oh. He passed away in 2013. Okay. But, you know, they were married for a long time. Right. And, you know, years went by. And, you know, this was kind of it as far as court cases. And Patty published a book about her experience in 1981 detailing everything about her experience to make money off of it. And she details the Carmichael bank robbery, which no one's been charged for, Mm -hmm. right? All of these details come out that she gave to the FBI under use immunity that are now out in the open for them to use in a trial. So- Oh, because now she's not like underneath this immunity. But no one gets charged. So she publishes it in 1981, and years are still going by, and nobody's getting charged. She escaped accountability. During this time, she even, like, starred in movies and was kind of just fit right in like a glove to this high society lifestyle that she had been railing against, you know, just a couple years before. Money can get you pretty far. I know, right? It can get you pretty far. I mean, people all have their opinions about her. There was a journalist who said... She's kind of like water. She takes the shape of the container she's put in. And I was like, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that there's a lot we don't know about her, but this is what it seems. And that was kind of the best take I heard. The break in the case for Myrna Opsal would come in 1999, almost 25 years after they had done that. Wow. 
Kathy Solia, who, along with all the other members other than Patty, Emily, and Bill, got away and had been on the run since 1975. Out of the blue, the Minnesota Fugitive Task Force arrested her in 1999, and she had been living a double life under the name Sarah Jane Olson, and they got her. Wow. So after they found her, the LAPD started looking into her case, and the agents who were looking into it were flabbergasted that no one was charged for this robbery for 25 years. So they started to look into all the people who were involved, and then now they have this book to help them out. They started to bring everyone to trial. So they arrested the remaining alive members. So they arrested Bill and Emily, Mike Borton, and... Jim Kilgore, along with Kathy Solia, they all brought them to trial. Now Patty was going to be exposed to prosecution as well because she was involved. In 1999, you said? Yeah, in 1999. It took them a couple of years to bring him to trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they don't all plea out, she's going to have to testify. But they do all plea out, and she does not have to testify. They all pretty much got something like seven years, except for Kathy Solia, who got sentenced for 13 years and she served seven Mm. but they all did get charged and convicted for this crime so there is some justice done if you know way too late but still done patty got a pardon from bill clinton in the last days of his presidency and her record was wiped clean oh my god and she was never held responsible for this crime wow Everyone pretty much served their time and went on to live their lives. Patty remained married to her husband until he passed away in 2013, and now she competes in dog shows in the Westminster Kennel Club and lives a pretty, like, suburban mom life. Wow. The Westminster Dog Show? Like, the Thanksgiving Dog Show? I don't know. (laughs) I just, I I put it down just because Westminster sounds so upper class. I'm pretty sure that's the Thanksgiving Dog Show. Really? Yeah. Well, she competes in it with her dog. Okay. (laughs) And I have to admit, her dogs are cute. I feel like I need a nap after all this. <laughs> I know, it's just so much. And uh, I mean, that's the story of Patty Hearst Part 2. I know it was long, and thanks for bearing with us, but yeah. holy crap. Like, I don't know, there's just so many details I felt like I had to leave in because mm-hmm. it was so crazy, but yeah, that's it. Damn. I mean, I don't really believe anyone, and yeah. I feel like both things can kind of be true. Yeah. But, like, Patty has agency, and there's so many different points where she could have left and other eyewitness accounts that she was so in it. Mm -hmm. And I I just can't believe that she was a victim the whole time. And I think that once she got arrested, she knew she was screwed unless she, you know, went back to being a good girl. Yeah, you know. so this this started as a kidnapping survival story and then turned into something much more sinister. Completely different. And different, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, the cognitive dissonance that these people have and the conflicting beliefs that they held, it's just so fascinating to me. I was like, you really believe that? They're doing mental gymnastics. Right. Like, truly. Anyway, thank you for that, part two. You're welcome. And part one. This is going to be a long one. Yeah. Uh, What is your good thing? My good thing is that we got a pickleball set and we're going to go play. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I love games. Pickleball. So I think it'll be, <laughs> I think it'll be easier to pick up than tennis. Sure. So we'll, I hopefully we'll have fun. We'll try it out. Maybe we'll have fun. Maybe we'll have fun. Uh, my good thing is that it's Pride, baby. 
hi gay hi gay <laughs> hi gay all the Shout all the pride. all the brands are just like yeah no it's hi, gonna be gay. fun to see what uh what the line of pride is this year yeah from, uh walmart yeah i uh will hopefully be attending because the the weekend before this episode comes out is when we're recording and it's it's la pride so i'm I, i'm hoping to attend at yeah. least some of the festivities we gotta we gotta experience pride hell yeah yeah anyway Thank you guys so much for listening. If you'd like to look at all the pictures we post of those stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you have a story that you would like to share with us, send it to knowtodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon where you can get bonus exclusive content and a fun community at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast with a T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. 